Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, and oh boy, do I have a treat for you guys today. Our guest expert is none other than Herb Nerd Reese Carter, a university-qualified nutritionist and naturopath who has a thing for science and evidence and an aversion to all things activated and alkalizing. Reese self-identifies as a BS-free nutritionist and naturopath and has a refreshingly honest and evidence-based approach to cut through the noise and help his clients make sustainable and healthy changes long-term. Reese is the author of two books, The Garden, Apothecary, and The Happy Gut. He has an active audience of over 50,000 people across Instagram and Facebook, and you guys can follow his social media account, which is at HerbNerdReese. On today's podcast, Reese and I start by discussing the difference between nutritionists and naturopaths and what it actually means to be an evidence-based practitioner. We then move into talking about gut health and why it's so important. We chat about Reese's nutrition recommendations for gut health and his herbal recommendations. We then discuss bloating, sleep and stress relief and some herbs that may assist. And we then chat about eczema and the lotions and potions in our medicine cabinet. And then we finish off by discussing herb gardens and how not to kill them, different types of teas and general healthy eating tips. I cannot wait to bring you guys this podcast episode with Reese today. So let's get going. Well, welcome Reese to our podcast today. I am so excited to have you on. I've wanted you on this podcast for so long. I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Leanne. I feel like we've been trying to make this happen for ages. So I'm so excited that we can, uh, we can finally get it off the ground today. And you guys, if you're listening at home, this is like full attention to Reese today because he's <laughs> going to drop some absolute gold. I am I have no doubt about it in this podcast, but first, Reese, for maybe our listeners at home who maybe don't know um, a little bit about you or your story or your background, I'd love for you to start off by just telling us a little bit um, about yourself and how you came to working in the space around nutrition and herbs, because it is such a cool space to work in. Yeah, sure. And I agree. Absolutely love it. And I think, to be honest, the the thing that uh, made me want to get into this industry and into this space was the fact that I had a really fantastic experience with a naturopath myself when I was a teenager. Um, I mean, long before that, I grew up in a farm in Western Australia. So I kind of had always been around food and I had a good understanding of where our food come from. So I think that was in the back of my mind. But uh, it was when I was a teenager and I went to see a naturopath uh, for uh, for skin issues and for stress, two very common issues that teenagers encounter and had a brilliant res- response to what the naturopath gave me and, and the changes we made together. So when it came time to kind of choose a, a career, it just made sense. Uh, and then I yeah, dove headfirst in and here I am. Love it. And maybe for our listeners at home who maybe have no idea what a naturopath is, could you just give us a little basic rundown of what exactly is a naturopath and sort of what do they do and what sort of clients they may be able to help? Sure. So a naturopath is... A big part of what we do is nutrition. So, and then we have a few other kind of natural health approaches that we will use alongside nutrition. The big one being herbal medicine. And that was kind of a bit of a passion of mine, as silly as a passion of mine. Uh, but that's what really kind of got me into naturopathy as opposed to just nutrition in the first place. I suppose what we do really well and what excited me about naturopathy uh, and what still excites me is more the philosophy that underpins it around treating people from from the ground up, if you will, and treating the root cause. 
Um, and I suppose because of that, a lot of the things that we do really well and where I see us kind of excel is around uh, kind of those, you wouldn't call them disease uh, diseases. I don't actually see clients if they come to me with a diagnosis usually. It's that kind of chronic unwellness. You know that picture of I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm not sleeping, I'm bloating but I don't know why. My doctor says I don't have any particular uh, condition. That's where naturopaths come in really well because we can kind of take a look at the the whole picture, work out what's going on with diet, what's going on with lifestyle, and start making those long-term changes to improve overall well-being. Love it. So that really holistic approach to, to health and exactly. healing. Exactly. Now, one of my favorite things about you, Reese, and it's actually quite rare, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're an evidence-based nutritionist and an evidence-based naturopath. So can you tell our listeners at home why this is so incredibly important? Because if anyone's picked up, I've actually never had a naturopath on my podcast before, purely because so many of them aren't evidence-based. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners at home why that's important for you and why you feel like that's important in your field, in the field of naturopathy as well. You're putting it lightly, Leanne. Like I agree 100%. So many naturopaths <laughs> are not evidence-based. And actually, there are a lot that I see recommending things that are quite dangerous. And I suppose that's why agree. it is so important mm-hmm. to me to be evidence-based in what I do. And so after I got my, like I said, I had a brilliant um, experience with a naturopath when I was younger. So I didn't realize there was any of this kind of woo-woo, wishy-washy naturopathy out there. <laughs> I had no idea moving forward. And I got my degree and it was a really solid degree. I understood, you know, um, biology and physiology and nutrition. And then I stepped out into the industry and I just saw so many of my peers recommending really wacky advice or kind of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just putting people on overly restrictive diets, really expensive supplementation regimes that don't necessarily, didn't necessarily have the evidence to back them up. And what you Mm -hmm. ended up getting was clients that weren't improving, that were getting frustrated um, and it's ending up feeling more powerless with their health afterwards than when they went in to see someone. Definitely. And so that's when I decided, you know what, if I'm going to operate in this space, I need to make sure that I am only working within the bounds of what science tells us, mm-hmm. um, but also continuing to learn more and continuing to study. So a few years after I became a naturopath and got a little bit frustrated at the kind of situation I found myself in and, and, and the kind of this culture of wishy-washy woo-woo naturopathy, I went out and did further study in nutrition so that I had that more conventional background as well. And I could really move between the two Mm -hmm. and using evidence, make sure that the advice I'm giving my clients is is the best possible stuff I could give them. Love that. And that you are one of my favorite people within that industry for that exact reason. (laughs) And again, I would love to, I guess, go a little bit deeper into that and help our listeners at home to understand the regulations in Australia around nutrition and around naturopathy, because in my understanding, there are none. And so many people at home don't even really understand the difference between a dietitian and an evidence-based nutritionist. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to evidence-based practice. And it is actually getting a little bit more um, traction behind it on social media. And I'm sure you feel it these days. People are really starting to understand what evidence-based means. But when it comes to nutrition and naturopathy, can you can you tell our listeners a little about the regulations around, you know, the field of naturopathy, particularly in Australia, but I'm sure it's pretty common throughout the rest of the world as well? Yeah, sure. So Leanne, like as a dietitian, obviously you've done an enormous amount of study and you would be registered with APRA, I imagine, which is the government body that overlooks, you know, uh, a number of registered health uh, professionals. Nutritionists- Dietitians aren't actually. (laughs) 
Are they not? Sadly. No, they're not. They're one of the only professional fields that are. Sadly. Are you That's joking? a whole other story. How did no, I I'm not know that? So you've got, you've, <laughs> got, you've, you've got private bodies the way that we do then, is that? We do. We have that, a body that works basically like APRA and it's okay. very strict and it's very highly regulated, but that's purely for dietitians only. So there are some absolutely right. wonderful evidence-based nutritionists out there as well. But again, as I'm sure you're about to dive into, there's just no regulation for it. There's no regulation, 100%. And so within within Australia, at least, um, for mm-hmm. nutritionists and for naturopaths, we have to sign up with an aso- a private association as well once we um, graduate. But the quality of those and kind of mm. the uh, the values of them vary so widely. So I'm I, personally, I'm a member of ANTA, which is the Australian Natural Therapist Association, and they push really hard for increased regulation for um, uh, registration of naturopaths to APRA in this case. Um on the, on the condition, obviously, that we are practicing by a certain kind of code of ethics and there's professional practice in place, which all comes down to, as you said, evidence-based practice. So, exactly, and that's why I think naturopaths and nutritionists vary so widely is kind of, you. it's up to the individual as to how, seri- how seriously they take their kind of um, involvement in, in, in health and their commitment to their clients, if that makes sense. Um, because, yeah, there are some other associate, associations out there that probably... A uh, little bit, le- a little bit less integrity there. If I can, say, if that's something I can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even just within the field of nutrition as well. Like again, I've come across some brilliant. They're not dietitians; they're nutritionists, but they're evidence based and they're wonderful. But then again, I, I come across some nutritionists and they're saying, doing whatever they please, putting out more harmful messages. And that's because within the regulations in Australia, but also for the rest of the world. Anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. Yes. Absolutely anybody. There's no regulation around the title of nutritionist. There is 100% regulation around the title of dietitian, yep. but not around nutritionist. So you could do a four-week online certificate and call yourself a nutritionist, or you could go to university and you study for three years and call yourself a nutritionist. But the, the quality of those two practitioners is going to be very different. And is that the same in the field of naturopathy? Like, could anybody call themselves a naturopath? Or- Anyone could call themselves a naturopath. They could go into a weekend course in, like, herbal tea making and call themselves a naturopath, which is obviously not quite the same as having done five years of university uh, (laughs) study. And and, and I think that we're only seeing that worsened with social media, right? Because there is this enormous interest in health and wellness in Australia and everybody wants to be an expert. So therefore they just kind of take whatever shortcuts they can to position themselves as one. And like, they'll go out and they create a this wellness empire online without actually having done the study or the work but for the person who's kind of um finding them online and accessing information it's very hard to tell the difference between mm-hmm. someone who is a credible expert and someone who is not definitely and so your advice at home when it comes to finding a great evidence-based nutritionist and naturopath to follow online would you get people to ask for their qualifications or what what's sort of your way of, of finding great qualified people to follow I think if they are hiding their qualifications in the first place, if you click through to their website and you can't find their qualifications listed, that should be a first red flag. You should not have to be searching for that information. But you should absolutely feel within your rights to ask them. Ask them where they studied, what they studied, uh, what professional bodies they're registered with. Um, And you know what else? If someone's making a bold health claim online, ask them for the evidence. Ask them for a link Mm. to that high-quality research because if they can't provide it, even if the um, information they're giving is pretty sound, it's still... I think that it's, you know, risky to be giving it without being able to um, come up with the the data to back it up. So don't feel afraid to ask and kind of take everything you do read with a grain of salt, especially if it sounds too good to be true, because it probably is. Wonderful. Oh, Reese, I love you. Such a 
such great advice. <laughs> All right, now let's get into the actual, the, the natural and the herbs and the healing and that sort of part, which I really yes, wanted you onto. Okay. But I really thought it was so important for our listeners at home to understand the difference between what an evidence-based practitioner does and, and how they operate versus how a lot of other sort of practitioners operate in, in the field, particularly on social media. So thank you for, for giving us Absolutely. your knowledge around that. <laughs> No trouble. Now, let's take a deep dive into gut health to start with. So yes. why is gut health so incredibly important and why is gut health with an evidence-based approach important for you? Gut health is enormously important because I think we're understanding more and more, and it is still early stages in the research, but in the last 10, 15 years, I think we've come to realize that gut health doesn't stay in the gut. Um, the the health of the gut and especially the, the health of the um, gut bacteria mm-hmm. impacts our immune system, impacts our mental health, uh, impacts our waistline as well, which I'm sure you know plenty about uh, yourself. And I think that um, that is what, a, a, to answer the first part of your question, that's why gut health is so important because it is the key to other health throughout the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. But um, what we need to realize is that, again, that became really trendy. And so we started seeing all of these gut health claims and vague promises uh, like bone broth for leaky gut and, you know, everyone should go off gluten because it's inflammatory and all these kind of pseudoscientific words that don't really mean a lot. Because when it comes down to it, the number one thing to do for good gut health um, is get lots of fiber. Eat a fiber-rich diet and especially a variety of fiber. So you're making sure you're getting prebiotics and resistant starch, which feed the good bacteria and make them thrive. So if there's one piece of advice I can give everyone, that is it. Get your fiber. And because most Australians aren't. So incredibly important. Like the statistics are scary. It's something like 95% of Australians do not eat enough fiber. And that's always been my number one health message is like, why would you go on some sort of crazy restrictive diet? We have to cut everything out when the statistics, like we have the proof Start there. Yeah. Start with just eating more vegetables. You don't have to spend a ton of money. You don't need to cut things out. You actually get to eat more food rather than putting yourself on some crazy calories where you're starving every day. So agreed, hundred percent agree. Because that's the exact same message I will give to my clients when they come to me, and they've they're fed up, and they've seen a million different practitioners, and they've been taken off every food under the sun, and they're like, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm like, let's chill out. Let's get the basics right first. Go back to what we know we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And the problem. I come across is that you get resistance back because people feel like they've been hearing that message for so long that they want something new. They want something with new and shiny promise. And what's really hard is actually getting people to understand, no, like we've known um, what you need to eat for good health for a very long time. The struggle, the challenge is actually getting people to do it in a sustainable way. Uh, And so that's that. And as you said, like 95% of people don't have enough fiber, 5% of Aussies, have enough fruit and veg in their diet, like, you know, for the minimum requirements. So before we start getting caught up in all of these crazy diets and and trends, we kind of just need to get everybody on a really solid foundation. And that's the hardest bit. Exactly. And that's what I constantly like drive home in my podcast is focus on getting adequate sleep, manage your stress levels and get in a ton of veggies every day because that's the foundations and the basics of health. And then also you can also add some little things on top of that to sort of like tweak your health almost. And this is where I'd love to hear your recommendations in terms of like different herbs for gut health. So things that actually have a little bit of evidence and science behind them, remembering that these are complementary to the foundations of health that we've just talked about as well, not just little things you do and hope for a miracle. Leanne, you just hit the nail on the head. That's the, <laughs> that's so important, that um, that understanding that there are some really cool herbal medicines out there that work and we have the science to prove that they work, mm-hmm. um, but they're not miracle cures. You can't be doing everything else wrong and then hope to kind of 
have a ginger tea and life will get better or pop a turmeric tablet and have everything get better. Like these are (laughs) alongside. Um, And in terms of gut health, look, the ones that we know really work. Actually, it's really interesting because with gut health, the key is diet, as we've just covered off. The key Mm -hmm. is absolutely diet and getting that fiber. Where herbs come in is almost more symptomatic relief if you've got something like IBS. So for Mm -hmm. bloating, pain, and for nausea, that's where we have some really, really good herbs. And they're quite common herbs as well. So peppermint and fennel, Mm-hmm. Uh, are two that have been shown in the research to actually uh, reduce symptoms of IBS, specifically, specifically if there's any pain involved. And we think it's because the volatile oil component in there, which if, you, if you've ever crushed peppermint leaves in your hand and you know the smell or you've ground up fennel seeds in a mortar and pestle and you know the smell, that's the volatile oil components. And we actually think it's those same components that work on like the muscle tissue in the gut to actually reduce symptoms of cramping and pain. So they're two of my favorites. Um, you probably realistically to get the kind of dosage that's going to have an effect, you need to have a, um, a supplement formulation and you need to make sure it's enteric coated so that it's getting all the way through the intestines before it's broken down. But in saying that, you know, personal experience isn't worth nothing. So if you find that you can have a peppermint tea and that helps, I'm never going to stop you from doing that. Absolutely go for it. If you have a peppermint tea and you feel your IBS or your bloating reduces, keep going. Um, the other one is ginger and ginger has been shown just at uh, a tea level to, to be really effective, especially in managing nausea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this particular study that I'm thinking of was looking at nausea with, um, uh, in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of, they're kind of three of the big gut health ones that, that I, that I talk about a lot. Wonderful. And I love them because it's not something that's going to be really dangerous. Like, you know, having a cup of peppermint tea or a cup of ginger tea, it can actually be so beneficial for your health in numerous ways. And it's not like you're taking um, something that, yeah, might be incredibly dangerous to you or, you know, some of the other things that a lot of um, the natural health therapy field might promote as well. I love that they're sort of herbs that have been around forever and we use them regularly within cooking and that sort of thing as well. So that's really cool. Oh, and no essential oils. That's what. <laughs> no, pe- that's the that's the one that does my head in. People taking uh, essential oils internally, um, it's dangerous. Don't ever do that. <laughs> yeah, is that just because the dosage is so high, or the dosage is so high? But also, um, some of these herbs do like herbs just because they're natural are not necessarily safe. They don't necessarily not have side effects. And for yeah. example, I saw uh, I won't name and shame, but I've seen um, one company promoting taking wintergreen essential oil. Now, wintergreen contains um, salicylates much like um, like your aspirin, so it's a blood thinner. Mm-hmm. So when you're having it at that concentrated level, it will thin your blood. And they were recommending giving it to kids, and I was just like, oh, this is like this is dangerous and you should be shut down, basically. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. There is, there are, they're not without their side effects and people just need to be really careful. A hundred percent. So I guess, as you mentioned, like a supplement form for some of them would be a really, um, I guess, beneficial thing. Would you recommend just taking, I guess, the amount listed on like the bottle if they went to like a pharmacy or something like that? Or would you definitely recommend linking in with like a naturopath to find out what a recommended dose would be? I would see a naturopath, um, not just because we want to make sure that we're getting the dosage uh, right, but also because the quality of supplements in Australia varies greatly. And, Mm. um, you know, we've got more regulation than they do, say, in the US. We've got, you know, the TGA that does um, that does manage this, but still it's pretty vague. It's pretty easy to get a supplement on the market, not have to prove quality of manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. So find a really credible naturopath, go in and they will not only make sure that the dosage 
is dosage is appropriate. Make sure it's not interacting with anything you're taking because, again, herbs can interact with other medications and other foods. Um, but they'll make sure that they're giving you a really good quality product. Awesome. Now, what about sleep? Because sleep's something that I struggle with just because the way that I operate, my brain goes a trillion miles an hour. I lay down at <laughs> night and it's just like, I literally just cannot sleep. And so I've been looking into sort of like the, the more natural sort of therapies, obviously, for sleep and that sort of thing. I don't want to have to take sleeping pills or anything like that. So I was like, I can't wait to get Reese on the podcast and pick his brain about sleep and herbs. <laughs> So would you call yourself a type A personality, Leanne? Oh, you've hit me. You've hit me. The nail on the head. Yeah. Most dietitians are, you know, those sort of type A perfectionists. And especially when you have your own business and you're working as hard as you do, I know that I'm certainly prone to that as well. And so there is one herb that I absolutely love for sleep and that is kava. Have you heard of kava? I have. As in like when you go to Fiji, they give you the kava drink. Is that the same one? Yes. So it's the same one, but we manufacture, we dose it at much lower levels for sleep. So yeah, so it's used in the Pacific Islands for... it's uh, in ceremonial yeah. uh, practices um, and it's almost you get a little bit high off it when you're having it at that kind of dose, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So we in, in Australia, it's obviously it's um, dosed much, much lower, mm-hmm. but um, it's actually been shown there's like there's a Coch- the Cochrane database actually has a um, meta-analysis uh, and a systematic review of the research and says yes for uh, specifically for kind of low-grade anxiety, um, carb is really effective, but I found it to be really useful in sleep as well. So I will take it uh, before I go to sleep and I'll recommend it to clients before they go to sleep. Now, what's important to know is that kava shouldn't be taken more than kind of between one and six months. Mm -hmm. So you don't want people becoming too reliant on it. Mm -hmm. And again, you want to make sure that you're getting a good quality um, supplement from a naturopath. Now, if you're looking at something more, uh, if if clients would come to me and like, maybe kava's not appropriate for them, I would actually recommend herbal teas. And it's not necessarily because we have the research around the the herbs themselves. It's more actually the practice of putting together a herbal tea at the end of the day and stopping and um, sipping it is often what they need more than anything else. And that's actually more of a lifestyle intervention, helping coach them around good sleep hygiene Mm -hmm. and kind of giving them a herbal tea as a way to force them to do that. You know, if you have to stop, have to stop your work, you have to brew your cup of tea and then you have to curl up on the couch and wind down. Um, I think that's probably more therapeutic than kind of having the chamomile or the lemon balm or whatever's in the tea itself. I love that because it's so hard to just like bang out all your work emails at like 10 o'clock at night and then calmly sip your tea, um, you know, (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) They don't really go hand in hand, do they? (laughs) They don't go hand in hand. And that's actually the biggest hurdle I have to overcome with clients is when they come to me for sleep, I'm like, most of what we're actually going to do is about helping you wind down in that hour up to sleep because unfortunately we can't cheat nature. You can't be there on your screen until 10 minutes before you plan on crawling into bed. You can't have your phone sitting next to you bleeping (laughs) while you're trying to go to bed and expect there to be some kind of, you know, magic natural pill you can take that that will knock you out. You have to kind of actually start prioritizing rest and creating that space where you're going to fall asleep naturally. So fun. And I've definitely started doing that in the last couple of months as well, where I have a dedicated phone off by, and then I'm like, I've got all my books that I'm reading before bed and I light my little candle. And then I've got a a nice little nighttime routine in place. And I've definitely have found that beneficial as well. Well, just, I was going to say, just add a nice, you know, lemon balm tea in there or a couple of those and you're good to go. Sounds amazing. (laughs) And just quickly (laughs) with the carver, is there any, um, I guess people you wouldn't recommend it for. So like pregnancy, for example, like anyone listening at home, is there a no-nos for taking something like a carver supplement? 
So with Carver, uh, pregnant women shouldn't use it and nor should women who are breastfeeding. Uh, kids shouldn't take Carver. And then lastly, um, people who drink a lot of alcohol. And the reason for that is that both alcohol and Carver or uh, the carver lactones, which is the active constituent there, um, they both place uh, strain on the same pathways for detoxification in the liver. So if there's uh, a lot of alcohol and carver in the system, um, there have been instances where um, a person has experienced carver toxicity. So if you drink a lot of alcohol, you shouldn't be taking carver either. Uh, and just lastly, though, as always, just check with a health professional, check with a naturopath if in doubt. Good. Glad we clarified that. <laughs> now, I think my uh, my listeners on the podcast understand the critical importance of nutrition when it comes to, um, you know, like just a holistic lifestyle. But also we think about like nutrition, there's so many different herbs and wonderful things that can help us. But what about like our medicine cabinets and that sort of thing? So say we have a flare up of like eczema or our skin super dry or something like that. Any sort of herbs that you might recommend, you know, it's winter here in Australia. I get a little bit of eczema every now and then that sort of thing. I don't love, you know, going to the chemist and having to put the steroid creams and all that sort of thing on. Is there any sort of um, herbs or more natural um, therapies you might recommend in replacements of, you know, some of these medicines that we regularly keep in our, in our medicine cabinet? Sure. So actually, I'm glad you asked that because kind of skin conditions is a is something that was um, a big part of, of my career and my journey and what I'm doing. So I wrote, a, I've got a book called The Garden Apothecary, which actually shows people how to make little herbal remedies at home. And one of them is uh, probably the, the, the one that's done the best is a calendula skin cream for eczema. Now, I'm going to be really honest. Um, in this case, we actually don't necessarily have a huge body of evidence to say, yes, calendula definitely works. Mm -hmm. This is one of those instances where we know it's safe. Mm -hmm. And I have seen in a lot of clients and I've seen in myself that there is improvement. So I'm quite confident in recommending like a calendula skin cream. Mm -hmm. Calendula is just pot marigold. They're these beautiful golden colored flowers. You've probably seen them um, in people's veggie patches because they use them uh as an insect, a natural like insect repellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you take those flowers, dry them, or you can buy it as a tea and you just infuse it in a beautiful oil, like a almond oil or something like that, you can use it as an, an, a, a, um, a skin oil on eczema. And I've, I've seen it to be really effective. Amazing. I can't wait to get your book. I'm so excited. We were talking about that just before we jumped on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I've got all my herb gardens. I'm like fantastic at killing all of my herbs. This year I've made the commitment. I'm like, I'm going to buy all my herbs again. I'm going to start from scratch and I'm going to try my best not to kill any of my herbs or my house plants. <laughs> Do you, have you worked out, have you worked out why they're dying? I think cause sometimes, um, my partner and I will go overseas or something and we never were like, oh, people don't need to come and water them or that sort of thing. And then it's like, just before our holiday, we're super busy getting ready for it. So we sort of neglect them for the week. Then we might go away for two or three weeks and we'll come back and be super busy. So I have periods of like neglect throughout the year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But also potentially, um, you know, it can get very hot up here in Queensland and that sort of thing. So I think I, I lump them all in together and I say they all need sun or they all need shade. Whereas I should really do some research and sort of find out which ones thrive better in in which areas you could almost i will always say err towards more sun than less sun though with herbs um okay. they pretty much there are very few that need pretty much all of them want full sun to be honest they want six to eight hours of direct sunlight a day um, and that is actually the number one problem most people make with a herb garden is that they'll be planting and planting and not understanding why they're dying and they think it's got something to do with water or they think that they're a terrible black thumb. And I'm like, no, all that all that happened is <laughs> you just didn't check that you're putting it in a full sun location. So there, for, there are a few herbs like peppermint and whatnot that like a little bit of shade, but by and large, um, 
if in doubt, err towards more sun and regular watering. Love it. Thank you. Now, what are your favorite herbs to to always <laughs> recommend? Someone, Say if someone at home wanted to start their own herb garden, they didn't have one, what would be your sort of three to five top herbs to, to begin with that are easy to maintain and that can be used in cooking, remedies, that sort of thing? What are your go-to? I would actually recommend... Um, any, anything in the mint family is actually very, very hard to kill. If anything, you'll need to stop it from taking over your garden. Yeah. So peppermint, so that, <laughs> peppermint, so you've always got that um, peppermint on hand. You can whip up a peppermint tea for digestion. Lemon balm I mentioned briefly before. It looks like, I'm not sure if you know it, it looks like mint, but when you crush it, it smells, it's really citrusy and fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, traditionally, that's been used in... Um, uh, like s- s- sleep remedies. Again, unfortunately, the evidence isn't there yet. Mm. Um, it, it might still arrive. We just have the research hasn't been done essentially. So, uh, but I'm more than happy to recommend people crush it up and turn it turn it into a tea. Like I said, for rest before bed, because if nothing else, taking that time to slow down is going to be beneficial anyway. Uh, so those two, are a couple of big ones, and then I love. I mean, the rest are probably culinary. I love um i put flat leaf parsley on everything i use thyme in everything both are really easy to grow and then the last one now this isn't a herb but i'm going to throw it in there have an especially in australia have an aloe vera plant you cannot mess them up and you if you actually learn how to extract that gel blend it up freeze it you've got homemade aloe vera gel for summertime as well so that's another one another little hack gardening hack i hand out of it so good as a kid growing up my mum always had aloe vera down the side of our house and she was because i used to get really bad eczema as a kid she would always put me in like long sleeve shirts but then if i was a kid and i'd have a sleepover or something like that obviously their parents didn't know and i would never wear my shirt and i'd come home sunburned and she would just like bathe me in aloe vera and yeah. a day or two later my skin would like the eczema the sunburn everything it was so good so massive fan of aloe vera <laughs> and the stuff from the garden just works better, I reckon. Just oh, works better 100%. than the stuff out of a bottle. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned um, using these um, herbs to create your own tea, which I love. Would you literally just pick off like a few leaves and throw it in with some boiling water or is there like a special way you're supposed to make these teas? You've got two options really. Now, if, you, if you're if you a total herb nerd like me, you'll actually pick them all and dry them. Now, maybe not, and maybe not everyone has time to do that, but if you can, what you end up going to do is um, all you're doing when you dry them, obviously is um, removing the moisture content. So you end up with a much more concentrated um, product in the end. So you'll have to use less of the herb to make a a pot of tea, for example. When you're doing it, when you're doing fresh leaf teas, you'll need to use a lot more. So instead of using like a teaspoon or two, you'll actually need a couple of handfuls, give the leaves a rinse and then chop them up. I would recommend give them a nice chop up Mm -hmm. into a pot, boiling water over the top. You want to steep it for at least kind of at least three to five minutes with the lid over the top before you drink it, especially when we're talking about something like peppermint or fennel and it's those volatile oils that we we think are the effective um, or the we think are the medicinal component because they evaporate off very quickly as well. So we keep a lid on, steep it for three to five minutes, even more if you want, and go like that. Wonderful. So cool. Oh, I can't wait to, to get, I've got all my like, <laughs> I keep getting lots of like pots and that sort of thing from T2 and I have so many just like beautiful teapots in my cupboard, but I must yes. admit being time poor, I just got to like, you know, something like T2 and grab some beautiful tea bags. But this year I've made the commitment to like get back to nature and help the environment out more. I've got my herb yeah, garden going on. I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> So good. (laughs) And starting with some teas. I'm so excited. (laughs) Now, my last question for you, Reese, is really around, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot of the times as well, and I guess um, the foundations of health are really important, but things like chronic headaches and chronic migraines, do you have any sort of herbal remedies or teas or anything like that that you find is helpful for chronic headaches or migraines? With headaches, I... 
there'd usually be something else going on. Mm -hmm. And again, this Mm -hmm. comes down to that um, kind of naturopathic principle of the underlying problem, like work out whether there is some kind of um, gut implication, work out whether it might just be something really basic like hydration or, you know, stress or something like that. Rule out all of those, lack of sleep, rule out all of those um, concerns first. There is one herb called fever few that, but the results are kind of mixed, I'll be really honest. Like mm-hmm. some pe- and, and you have to take it every single day. It's kind of been shown to be a preventative for migraines. Um, but I've also seen some research that doesn't really um, doesn't really kind of back it up as much as we would like. So I tend not to do a whole lot with herbs and headaches and migraines. I try to work out what's going on underneath. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love it. I just, I love so much that you, you have this evidence-based approach and you love to sort of say the studies. And when you dropped the word like Cochrane, I was like, oh, that's so good. And for our <laughs> listeners at home, like if you're going to use a, a study that's been in like a Cochrane review or something like that, you can rest assured that that's top quality evidence. So that's awesome exactly. to hear. <laughs> it's, isn't it so reassuring whenever you find something, because it's really hard to get like Cochrane, even Cochrane level evidence, even in things that we really hard, yeah. commonly know to be true you know it just it, it they it, it's really really high level evidence so as soon as you see it for something you're just like oh thank god like I, no more questions <laughs> yes. no more questions need to be asked I can absolutely um recommend that with all my heart yeah yeah love it <laughs> now one of my favorite things on your Instagram is your bio and it speaks to me so much and for those listening at home it says Reese Carter fad free health author with a thing for sides and an aversion to all things activated and alkalizing I just love that that you're a BS free nutritionist so can you tell me why as a holistic health practitioner. And I myself also call myself a holistic health practitioner. And I think there's a lot of, um, just, I don't know, like people feel like dietitians can't be holistic. And I'm like, I start with the basics. I focus on sleep and wellness and stress and I add foods into your diet. Like tell me how that's not holistic and I can use evidence and also be holistic. Whereas I feel like a lot of people on social media are like, you can't be holistic if you use medicine or you can't be holistic if you use science. So Tell me why, as a holistic health practitioner, you don't recommend activating and soaking things and alkalizing everything that we eat because I don't do that sort of stuff either and I think that I'm perfectly healthy. (laughs) Because also they just don't mean anything. They're just words that people have kind of come up with that don't actually have any science, don't do anything and don't help in any way apart from to confuse people further. So, like, I agree with you that food is an enormously potent and powerful um, you know, a pro, uh, part of health. And I don't, you know, I know that some people don't love to hear food as medicine, but it is, uh, it is a very powerful intervention to improve your health, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's frustrating is seeing these diets that like the alkalizing diet, which doesn't really mean anything, detox diets, which don't really mean anything, activated this, which doesn't really mean anything mm. because people get so caught up in that, that they forget the basics. Meanwhile, we're seeing basic that if you get the basics right, it's food can be so powerful. I mean, in terms of mental health, I'm sure you would have um, seen the smiles trial, for example, that came out a few years ago out of Australia. Like that's, that's mind blowing to think that we might potentially be able to treat depression just by putting people on Mediterranean style diet. Mm -hmm. So I think it was 12 weeks from memory, eight to 12 weeks. Um, Like that's the stuff people need to be hearing, not this kind of celebrity chef pushed, activated broth, whatever it may be of the day. And I think that's where my frustration comes from. And that's what I mean when I say I'm a BS free nutritionist. Um, It's not because I don't believe in the power of nutrition. I absolutely do. But it's about I'm frustrated at this kind of culture we've created um, around fad diets. And I'm also really frustrated um, at the culture we've created around pulling things out of our diets. You know, Mm -hmm. we've 
we've we've we've kind of um, become obsessed around what the next dietary bad guy is. So we'll remove gluten. We'll remove um, dairy unnecessarily. We'll remove soy. We'll remove nightshades, and we're just stripping our diets of more and more and more food. When actually, what the good quality research says is that all of us would benefit from increasing the diversity in our diets. Mm-hmm. And so every time we pull something out without being um, given that advice by a dietitian or a doctor or a nutritionist. We just pull it out because we heard it's good for us. Mm -hmm. We're actually limiting the diversity in our diet and probably shooting ourselves in the foot a little. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I just feel like we've almost taken healthy eating like a couple of steps too far where the more things we cut out, the more things we restrict, the more things are like these bad guys, the more stress that creates, the more anxiety that creates, the worse our gut health symptoms seem to get. And we get to this point where we're eating like, eight or 10 safe foods. And you're like, where do you go from here? And then I'm sure you see clients, I see clients and they're like, I can't eat anything. Everything triggers me. Well, they get these like ridiculous, um, like food intolerance tests, which again, don't have any evidence or or anything to back it. Or someone does a hair follicle test or somebody, you know, does some sort of test, you know, test that doesn't have the evidence or the science behind it. And clients will come to me and they say, I can't eat corn. I can't eat capsicum. I can't eat broccoli. I can't eat all of these wonderful fruits and veggies. And I'm like, well, what happens when you eat them? They're like, oh, nothing. I just can't eat them because the test told me I can't. Yeah, So I sort of feel like we've we've lost our way a little bit when it comes to healthy eating, haven't we? We're putting too much trust in in the things that we hear online and really not listening to our bodies enough, are we? 100%. And also I think it's a really good point you make about uh, trust listening to our bodies. But also we need to keep in mind, especially when we're talking about gut health, because this is one I hear with clients like, oh, I can't eat X, I can't eat Y, I can't eat Z because it makes me bloat a little bit. And I'm like, well, how much are we talking? Because an, a small amount of bloating, a small amount of passing wind, that's just normal gut function. A healthy gut does that stuff. Um, and quite often when I'm recommending fiber and I'm helping people increase prebiotic content of their diet or whatnot, they'll call up and they'll say, they'll call me on the back, oh no, that triggered my um, gut symptoms. It's bad for me. I'm intolerant. I can't have it. I'm like, no, that's a totally normal response from going to a really crappy diet to starting to increase um, the fiber. It just, there is that adjustment phase. And I think people need to understand, yes, listen to your bodies, but also understand, especially when we're talking about gut health, um, that a healthy gut doesn't necessarily mean a completely bloating free gut, like that not all bloating is bad for you. 100% 100% couldn't agree more and and I think people I guess sort of forget that especially with IBS you will never ever ever be symptom free because IBS means that you have a hypersensitive gut so the the symptoms that you experience are just that little bit more heightened and you're more aware of them than what other people might be so the goal with IBS isn't to be 100% symptom free it's to reduce your symptoms to be able to live you know a healthy happy lifestyle without being completely restrictive and not being able to go out and eat anything or everything makes you anxious and that sort of thing because a a little bit of occasionally like a little bit of constipation or diarrhea can be totally normal a little bit of bloating occasionally can be totally normal we all get a little bit of gas yeah. but i think that social media yeah. has just got us to this point where we feel like any symptom at all means that there's something going on whereas it's like if we're going to go out and have a big mexican meal we're going to be gassy like beans tend to make you it's gassy gonna happen. like this it's not a bad thing yep. it's just the way that our bodies work and the way that our bodies function and break down that extra fiber so i think keeping that in mind as well Absolutely. is we don't have to be perfect with our health but same also with our gut symptoms and that sort of thing is so important to remember isn't it 100% and you know you brought up anxiety anxiety around food specifically there and that's another big one because you want to know what's really bad for gut health is stress and unnecessary anxiety so uh, you want to do something good for your gut health relax around food, learn to relax around food a little bit more, um, you know, prioritize rest and sleep, 
yeah, I couldn't agree more. Love it. Now, my very, very last question for you, last one I promise is, what yes. is your favorite? <laughs> um, I guess when it comes to like herbs and that sort of thing and like naturopathy, like what's one of your favorite things to recommend to your clients? If you could leave our clients with one sort of like lasting mes- message when it comes to like holistic health and herbs and healing, what would be something that you feel like would impact somebody overall? Oh, that is so. I oof, that is a big question. I feel like I'm almost going to go back to something we've already said before. That is just celebrate plants and make them the uh, focus of your diet. Learn to love them. Learn to think of them not as a side, but as the absolute hero of the plate, because that's going to do the lion's share of the work. Mm-hmm. To be honest, getting at least seventy five percent of your plate to be plants, um, diversity of plants, and doing that uh, regularly, that's going to do more than any kind of one off herb or anything else. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Love it. Love the balance message. Now, you've got some (laughs) wonderful books, which I hope to get my hot little hands on very soon. I'm going to go off and order it as soon as we finish this podcast. (laughs) But can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your books, where they might be able to purchase them or even where they might be able to book in with a consultation with yourself? Because I know that you're Sydney-based, but I imagine you do like online consultations and that sort of thing. I do, yes. So I do online consultations, especially around the area of um, gut health, mental well-being and uh, weight management that's what I really focus on there mm-hmm. uh, my two and yeah and you can go to reesecarter.com.au to, to book in with me there and I can see you online uh, in terms of the books they're available any good bookstore um, online uh, on re- online retailers like Booktopia the first one's called The Garden Apothecary and that's really about growing your own herbs learning how to dry them turn them into teas skin oils some of those things we covered off like those home remedies and then the second book is called The Happy Gut and that really is about um dietary and herbal management um, of gut health and what that can do for mental well-being as well. Amazing. And then finally, where can our listeners um, follow you on Instagram socials? If you've got, you got Facebook, YouTube, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so Instagram and Facebook is where I'm most active. And on Instagram, I'm Herb Nerd Reese and uh, Facebook is easy to find me. Just Reese Carter Health. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Reese. And listeners at home, make sure you go and give Reese a follow. He puts up some awesome content online as well, particularly on, on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out the most as well. And I always see your posts <laughs> pop up, which is awesome. But again, thank you so much for for giving us just so much knowledge and helping us break down and understand why evidence-based practice is so important particularly or even with the holistic health field as well like it still matters so much so thanks for having me leanne wonderful have a great day and guys we'll catch you on the very next podcast